Greetings and welcome to the worship services of Alamo First Baptist Church. I'm Brother Chris Rigby. I'm standing here this morning in front of our bell. This is the original bell that was at our old location uh, years ago. It uh, was there when the church was first built and it was always a call to worship. Well, when we moved to our new campus here several years ago, we brought it with us. And not too long ago, we got to put it up. We're so excited about it because it reminds us that we're coming together into this building to worship. And we are excited that today you've decided to tune in to our broadcast to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our prayer this morning is that you will see the great love that Jesus has for you and the great love that we have for you as well this morning as we worship together. We look forward to meeting you and your family, and we invite you to be a part of any of our worship services, our activities or ministries here. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, probably the best way to do that is just drop us a line at our email address, alamofirstbaptist at gmail.com. All of it spelled out, just gmail.com, alamofirstbaptist. We look forward this morning to worshiping with you. We pray God's blessings upon you and your family as we go inside now and we worship together. Let's go ring that bell for Jesus.
morning. Good summer uh, Sunday morning. Good to see everybody. Glad you're here. A couple of announcements before we have our uh, prayer and offering. Uh, deacons, don't forget we've got a meeting right after the worship service. We'll be just off the office uh, in the conference room. Uh, and there is a missions meeting. Y'all be in the choir room, right? So a couple meetings right after the, the service this morning. Make note of that. And then Wednesday night, we will be having a business meeting. Uh, we have a nominating report for sure. And there may be some other things that, that need to be uh, addressed. So Wednesday night after the worship service, uh, there will be a business meeting. So I want you to be here for that. Uh, we got one uh, photo to show you this morning. We had a birthday party yesterday for Miss Patsy. She turned 83. Y'all give Miss Patsy a happy birthday clap. <laughs> and we had a good visit with her on uh, Friday. Brian and I did. Uh, also, I want to ask you to continue to be in prayer for uh, Jasper Taylor uh, and his family. Miss Helen passed away early Saturday morning. And I think Jasper and them are actually gone now or this morning to the uh, uh, funeral home. So we don't know any of the arrangements, but uh, when we do, we'll uh, let you know what the arrangements are. We'll put them on Facebook, uh, perhaps even send out a flock note text. But uh, Miss Helen, uh, precious, precious Christian, uh, and it's an answered prayer. Whoops, J.D., you on my lights. <laughs> Uh, precious Christian and her prayer uh, had been to go go be with the Lord. She was worn out and tired. Uh, church tonight, 545, so make note of that. Uh, Meg, we got anything? Okay. <laughs> Megan says no. Uh, children's Church, 3 through 5, right after uh, the, the special and all. Brian, you got anything? Yeah. There we go. The youth will meet tonight at 545, and the, I know several will be at voice, but we're still going to meet for whoever's there. The, and then Wednesday night, we're going to be at the Goldsmith House for a pool party beginning at 630. All right. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for this time together, for the blessings of life, for all the things that you give us. Lord, we uh, pray for Miss Helen's family. We uh, just uh, feel the loss of, of not having her. But, Lord, we know that she was worn out and she was tired. And, and Lord, she had told us and told me personally just she was ready to be uh, home with you, Lord. And you answered that prayer for early Saturday morning. And, Lord, just help us to remember her life and the blessings of her life and encourage her family uh, this morning as we uh, uh, meet together to think about them as well as uh, all the things we're here to do in worship. Lord, bless the offering. Use it to the kingdom work, to your glory and to your honor. And just bless this service as we worship you, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen.
This morning, we uh, want to take a moment in our worship service to recognize a special group that uh, is getting ready to do uh, some mission work. You know, this has been several years now that this has sort of been in the plans and the works, I guess, three years? 2019. It started out with a trip to, the, uh, to Belize, and then, of course, COVID hit everything shut down uh, and then planning and rescheduling reworking with our uh, mission partner uh, the the trip ended up being go to Alaska and you know the thing that I kept thinking about through this this whole entire time was God knows what we don't know God has a plan and so I, I really feel I really do that God has something special for those that are going and for those who are going to be ministered to. Because, like I say, this isn't just a, you know, hey, three-month, six-month plan mission trip. This has been in the works for a while. And uh, usually when those things happen, God is doing something that we just can't begin to imagine. So this morning we want to uh, have uh, our commissioning service uh, for our Alaska mission group. I want to ask all of those to come. And as they come, Paige is also going to share with us, I think there's some ways in which you can help in prayer. So Paige, come on. But if you're on the Alaskan mission team, that's going to be, y'all leaving Friday morning, Friday right? Morning. 
Um, also, I want to thank you um, as a church. You've helped us. The only thing that, that we're paying out of pocket, I believe, is our $450 uh, registration fee for each person. Other than that, the, the whole trip has been paid for by the generosity of folks like you that have uh, come and supported us in fundraising. We thank you all so much for that. Mission team, come on. There you go. Yeah, y'all come on, mission team. Do you want to call everybody's name? Is everybody here? Yeah, just line up behind me like this. Yeah. It's a big group. I think there's 30. 30? 30 people. Do you want to go ahead and share about the... Okay. Like I said, there's 30 people on the team. Some whole families, some singles, some parent and child. But... Um, we divided all of these people up. You will all have a prayer partner on the team. You don't know who that is yet. You'll find out. It's sealed in, you know, the envelopes. So you'll have a prayer partner. Don't tell, don't tell your prayer partner who it is. You just pray for them all week, and then Brian's got something special at the end of the week, at the end of the trip for you guys. Um, for us staying behind, um, up here on both of these white walls, there are some little tiny crosses that Brian ordered. They're made out of olive wood. So anyway, little tiny prayer crosses. They have one of these team members' names on them. There's two sets. So there's a set here and a set there. Um, if you want to come up at the end of the service and take one of these home with you to pray over all week long, please do so. So um, maybe just get one to start and then so more people can take part. But anyway. All right. Good deal. That. But you guys have uh, stepped up to the call that God has given you uh, to, uh, to go out and be what we call a short-term missionary, to share the gospel good news to those in the Alaska uh, in that community. The Bible tells us that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That we are to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into the harvest. And, of course, the Bible says there are those who have said... Uh, that they've heard the voice of the Lord like Isaiah saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And uh, the herd has been called, uh, the call of Christ. And the words of Isaiah, Here am I, send me. I want to ask you this morning, mission team, have you prayerfully considered the responsibility, the work that's involved, and the sacrifices that you may be called to make? If so, would you answer I have. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that uh, the Holy Scriptures are the Word of God, and uh, by coming to Christ, uh, the way the Word tells us, that uh, one can have salvation through Him? If so, would you answer, I do with all my heart. Are you motivated not out of desire for position or earthly gain, but the love of God and your fellow person? And do you wish to glorify the Lord and see those who are lost saved? If so, would you answer, I am. Have you, the members of First Baptist Church, Alamo, considered uh, these who have answered this call uh, to this mission work as servants of Christ? If so, would you answer, we have. Are you satisfied that they will be worthy messengers and representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ 
If so, would you answer, we are. Are you willing that they should be commissioned to this mission project and promise to prayerfully pray for them and lift them up daily while they are serving? If so, would you answer, we do. Would you pray with me? Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for these faithful servants, these who have uh, willingly sacrificed perhaps their vacation, their own family time, uh, work schedules, and other things, Lord. They've laid down at the foot of the cross to go out, to go to an area, Lord, that's uh, foreign and unknown to them, to, to meet new people, and to, Lord, have the opportunity just to share the good news. Lord, they'll be working with kids and adults. They'll be working with uh, families that are, are Christian and unchristian. They'll be working with broken and unbroken lives, Lord. And uh, there's going to be opportunities all along the way. Perhaps someone they're sitting next to on the plane or talking to in the airport. Uh, just the trip itself, uh, a, an opportunity to minister and to witness. Lord, we pray that you would give them a holy boldness. Uh, to speak and, and not be afraid or ashamed. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would give them the words and the wisdom uh, of what to say and how to share the good news. Lord, we pray not only are seeds planted, but the fruit is seen of that which has been planted, the harvest. Lord, we pray for the church to which they get to minister. We pray that it's strengthened, that it, it, it's left stronger, and Lord, the, the, the work that is brought in and the work that's there uh, can just be increased according to your glory. Lord, we love them. We commit to pray for them as a church. And, Lord, we, we give them to you uh, to be your worthy messengers. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you give these guys a hand? Thank you all. Huh? Oh, yeah. Stand up. If you're, if you're visiting, we want to say a word of welcome to you. Uh, turn and greet your guest and neighbor, and we'll sing our visitors uh, a fellowship song in just a moment.
blessed Redeemer, sing, O earth, His wonderful love proclaim. Hail Him, hail Him, highest archangels in glory, strength and honor be to His holy name. Like a shepherd, Jesus will guard His Excellent greatness, praise him, praise him, ever in joyful song. Praise him, praise him, Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. For our sins, he suffered and bled and died. He, our rock, our hope of eternal salvation. Hail him, hail him, Jesus, the crucified.
Father God, we come before you this morning. We thank you for how amazing you are, how good you are to us, Lord. Father, I do pray for revival. I pray that it would break out in, in my family. Lord, I pray that it would break out in the little town of Alamo and that it would spread like a wildfire, Lord, that only you can control. Lord, uh, you've done amazing things this week, Lord, and we just uh, continue to pray for our Supreme Court justices as they hear, call, hear cases. Lord, I pray that you'd uh, just put a hedge of protection around them as they try to protect the innocent. Lord, we just uh, thank you for loving us. We thank you for dying for us, Lord. And we pray again that you would build your kingdom here, Lord. We love you, and we ask it all in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. Thank you. Praise team. Take your Bible this morning and open to uh, Matthew chapter 25. We are coming to the conclusion of our series that we've been in for several weeks off and on. On the Olivet Discourse, that's uh, Matthew 24 and then Matthew 25, we said at the beginning of that series, Jesus is asked a question by the disciples as he's leaving the temple and they're going over towards the Mount of Olives there and he's going to sit and relax and teach. He's asked the question about the things that are going to come to pass and um, he begins to talk about the end of times, and they ask, you know, what will the sign of these things be that the, the end is here, and the sign of his coming be that uh, his, his, his return is, is imminent and close. So Matthew 24, 25 is the answer to that one question asked by the disciples. It is the longest answer that Jesus gives to a question in Scripture, and so it takes up uh, what we see here really basically uh, two chapters, and we're going to look at the final part of that uh, in just a moment in verse 31 through verse 46. You know, according to Greek mythology, Cassandra, the king of Troy's uh, daughter, was an astonishing, beautiful young woman it was said that she was doubly blessed. Not only did she have great beauty, she had been given another gift, the gift of foresight, the gift of prophecy, being able to see into the future and to know what's coming. The story goes that one of the Greek gods, Apollo, fell in love with her, and it was he that gave her that extra gift of prophecy. However, when Cassandra denied Apollo his advances, he became upset and he placed a curse upon her. The curse was this, that no one would believe her predictions. Thus, her gift ultimately becomes one that would bring her only frustration and despair because no one would believe her. It's especially seen in the story that's told as she would go and she would try to warn about the impending doom that awaited the kingdom of Troy. Of course, that's mythology. That's only a story. But that actually did happen to a fellow by the name of John O'Neill. Now, maybe you've heard that name. Maybe you haven't. Maybe it doesn't mean very much to you. And so your question may be, well, who was he? I think it was rather interesting. I was reading the story, reading his book, or reading the, 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 the story of his life. He uh, 
was a graduate of Holy Spirit High School in Atlantic City, New Jersey. He had a goal as a young boy. He wanted to be one thing when he grew up, and that was an FBI agent. And that's what he became. As he worked hard, he was able to go to Quantico and become an FBI agent. In the 1980s, he was given the task of following a small group of terrorists around the world. He began to compile a dossier upon them. Uh, he had a file on them. And today we know the name of that group. We've heard of it, but back in 1980s, no one really knew who they were, Al-Qaeda. They were a radical terrorist group that no one knew much about, but that was his first counterterrorism assignment, and he was to monitor the, the Bureau's efforts in capturing a Pakistani terrorist, uh, Ramaze Youssef, if I said that right. You say, well, who is he? He was responsible for the first bombing of the World Trade Center in 1993, and O'Neill accomplished that mission. He went on to lead the, the problematic investigation of the bombing of the USS Cole in 2000, which was an amazing story in and of itself. Uh, with his investigation into this group, John O'Neill became convinced that Al-Qaeda and, in particularly, one man, Osama bin Laden, had an intent to attack, to attack the homeland of America. O'Neill was so convinced that he became passionate, very passionate to it. He increasingly began to warn the higher-ups. He even would sometimes go around them to get the message. He carried the message to the White House. He spoke to the President of the United States. Yet, with all of his passion, with all of his experience, with all of his hard work, his warnings fell on deaf ears. No one believed him. Now, so convinced that an attack was looming and he knew where it would take place, he decided to quit his job of 31 years, his goal of being an FBI agent, and he went to work for the World Trade Center. He was head of security at the World Trade Center on the day of September the 11th, 2001. His task, protect the Twin Towers from this radical terrorist group, Al-Qaeda. When the stunning attack happened that day, in its massiveness, as we remember, and its simplicity, planes into buildings. John O'Neill was at his desk at the World Trade Center. He survived the impact of both planes, only to succumb to the act of attempted rescue when he went back into the South Tower just before it collapsed. In the story of his life, the book written about him by an investigative journal journalist said he died as he lived, fighting to the end, international terrorists bent on world destruction. O'Neill spoke of his trait when he was asked why he quit the FBI to join the World Trade Center. And he said this about himself, about his passion. He said, my passion was both 
his greatest asset and greatest limitation. My passion holds all of my wealth and all of my liabilities. It is the best of me. It is the worst of me. But he said this, it is me. When we come to Matthew 24 and 25 here at the end this morning, that's the question. Who are we as we relate to the Lord Jesus Christ? And Jesus is going to bring home now that connection and what it means to be sold out and committed to him. I want to read, uh, beginning in verse 31, what we call the parable of the, the goats and the sheep or what you might have entitled in your Bible, the final judgment. So Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and he's talking about the second coming, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, Truly I say to you, as you did it to, to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me food, and thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer and saying, Lord, when did we see you hunger, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it uh, to me, as you, did, as you did not do it to the least of these, you did it uh, to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I'm afraid that just like the warnings of John O'Neill to those who were in charge of keeping us safe and prepared, the prophetic warnings of our Lord Jesus Christ has fallen upon, fallen upon deaf ears and a cold heart of believers and the church. As we close this study, we come to where Jesus talks about this final judgment to come. He's given us an outline of things that will begin to happen as time grows near. He's given some parables about the, uh, the days in which we live and to be prepared. And here now he's going to talk about 
the judgment to come. In this final section, Jesus really is, is saying there's a time of evaluation and a time of judgment that is going to come to the nations of this world. The other two parables that we looked at were really uh, parables on the unprepared. This parable is, is focused mainly upon what I want to call the unpardoned. And while this passage has a parabolic kind of element to it, uh, it's sort of like a parable, but it's not. It, it, it's really a, a glimpse into uh, what we would call uh, the apocalyptic end of the age. And so when we come to this, I want to say to you that the way I primarily see this is this. This is pre-written history. All right, these are things that will come to pass. It's future history pre-written for us. And I think it, it helps us understand both why and how the judgment of God is going to be carried out. I want you to see three scenes this morning. They're real simple as we break down the story. I want to think, first of all, about the shepherd. Notice in verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Well, of course, uh, the great shepherd, uh, the, the, the king, is Jesus himself. He is the Son of Man who's coming in his glory. This verse, I think, is also a nod towards God's promise to his people that's been given to us all throughout the Old Testament and in the past. Uh, God has promised certain things, and what God has promised, he will bring to pass. You know, we, we looked at Ezekiel. Over in Ezekiel chapter 34, it deals with the, the end of times. And in verse 23 and verse 24 of Ezekiel 34, we read this. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be a prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Jesus is affirming here in Matthew 25 the promise that God made to David, the promise that God has made to the people of Israel, what he has promised is going to come to pass. And let me just say, unlike the first coming of our Lord and Savior, whose coming was in obscurity, his second coming will not be missed. All eyes will see the Lord when he comes this second time. Unlike the first coming where Jesus came to seek and serve and save, his second coming will be to rule, to reign, and to judge. When the great tribulation and the battle of Armageddon are over, what's left of the human race, what's left after the great wars, after the great famines, after the great earthquakes, after the great pestilences, after the great persecution, all those who remain on the earth will be summoned together. They will be summoned together in the valley of Jehoshaphat near Jerusalem to be judged. You say, well, where do you get that? Well, listen to uh, Joel chapter uh, 3 and uh, look in uh, verses 2 and 3. And uh, here's what the prophet says. Here's what God says. I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat 
and I will enter into judgment with them on behalf of my people and my heritage, Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and divided up my land and cast lot for my people. And he, they've mistreated them. They have traded a boy for a prostitute and sold a girl for wine, and they've been drunk it. In other words, they've treated my people badly. They have done wrong, and I'm going to gather the nations of the world together and judge. And so the Lord will set up his throne in the valley of the throne of his glory, in the valley of Jehoshaphat. And can I tell you something? That there is something, I think, that is just in, innately right about seeing Jesus on the throne. Amen. I mean, what a day to see the one who deserves to sit on the throne seated in power and in glory. And, and, and when I read the news and I see what's going on in our world, I cannot wait for that day to come. Now, I want you to understand that this judgment of the nations will be separate from the other judgments that are mentioned in Scripture. And I think sometimes that we get confused when we read this and we think that this judgment is one of the other judgments that we read and study in Scripture. So I want to explain it a little bit. The purpose here in Matthew 25 behind this judgment is to decide among those who are still living on earth, will they be allowed to live in the millennial period? So Jesus, we know that the, 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 the outline of things to come, we're in the church age. We believe there's a point, there's a time where the church will be raptured out. The church won't go through the uh, persecution. But at the, at the rapture, or shortly after, there will come one who is the Antichrist. It will be the beginning of what we call the seven-year tribulation period. We read about that in uh, Revelation. Daniel tells us about that seven-year period. Halfway through that seven-year period, three and one-half years, the Antichrist will ascend to a throne uh, and, and demand to be worshipped by this world. The, Jewish, uh, the Jews who have been rejecting Christ will finally see the light. The scales will drop from their eyes. They will realize uh, the fulfillment of God's word and, and what was, is truly true. There will be persecution upon the Jew like the world has never seen. And for another three and a half years, all hell will be broken out on earth. And then, of course, there is the battle of Armageddon. All right, and that battle is, is fought really by Jesus and one, one word, and Satan is conquered. At the end of that battle, those who are still alive, those on earth will be summoned together, and this is the judgment that we're talking about. I don't want you to confuse this judgment with the great white throne of judgment, that's described in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. Some scholars merge both of those together, and they just uh, put it into some sort of general judgment. But the Bible knows nothing about a general judgment. No, no. The Bible's very clear on the judgments that will happen. And this judgment takes place on earth immediately after the battle of Armageddon. 
the white throne of judgment takes place in heaven in space somewhere. We're told in Revelation 20 that both earth and heaven have fled away. So that's a whole different scene in a whole different place. The judgment here in Matthew 25 takes place before the millennial kingdom is established on earth for those who are saved, we are told, that they will inherit the kingdom. The white throne of judgment takes place after the thousand-year reign of Christ, uh, and uh, uh, it is for those that will live in eternity with God. Now, this is a sudden, it's a solemn uh, and serious moment. And the other two parables that we've looked at, Jesus said, be ready, be ready, and here is now why you must be ready. Now, let me also say this, by the way, death of anyone, anyone who dies, is the final moment for them. Death itself is the equivalent to the second coming, for at that moment, our fate is sealed. It is appointed unto men once to die, and then the judgment. There is no escape. You know, today we live in a very polarized culture. Uh, you'll hear this. I, I hear this all the time. Oh, how will history judge us? Friend, let me just tell you something. It isn't history that's going to judge us. It is God alone who will judge us. History be damned. Jesus has the final say. Political party be damned. Congress be damned. Senate be damned. The president be damned. The Supreme Court be damned. And the, the, the vast majority of the voice of the people of this world be damned. Jesus gets the last say. Jesus and Jesus alone gets the final say. Before you clap, before you say amen, somebody better decide what team you're playing for. Are you playing for his team? Are you on his side? You love darkness more than light, you're on the wrong team. You walking by feelings and not by faith, you're on the wrong team. You yield no fruit, you're on the wrong team. You serve not to his glory, but for yourself, you're on the wrong team. Those are pretty good indications you're not on the team of the Lord. But I want you to notice not only the shepherd, the stock, verse 32, but him will, uh, before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates, now here he goes, sheep from goats. In these verses, we, we come to the sheep and goats. It's a simile. It's, it's a picture of. It's an example of. It helps us to, env to envision the judgment. Jesus wants us to envision people being separated from one another. Separation is hard. You think about a parent and a child that gets separated from each other, a brother and a sister, a, a husband or a wife that gets separated. There's a tearing apart that happens. That's the picture. But it will happen in the same manner, we're told, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Today and even in Jesus' day, there were sheep and goats that would sometimes be herded together. And they would be sent down, sent down a chute that was wide enough for only one animal at a time. And the shepherd would sit above 
the fence there, he had a gate. And, and he would swing that gate either to the left or right uh, and so that the sheep could go to the right or then the goats go to the left. That's the picture. But each one is separated according to its own kind. Now remember, in Bible times, the right side was always considered the, the place of honor, the place of authority. It was where a person would be seated uh, to the right hand of the king. This is the side of the sheep. Why? Because they have the greater value. They are at the Messiah's right hand. They, they've identified themselves with Jesus. They are identified with the faithful of the ages. Now on the left is position of lesser honor. They are the goats. They are the faithless. And from this point on to the end of the passage, there's no more mention of sheep or goats. From now on, there's just two categories of people, those on the right and those on the left. Those on the right are the righteous. Those on the left are unrighteous. I love John Phillips. I've, I've given him to you often. Let me give you what he has to say about this matter. He says, all right, keep in mind the background of this judgment will be the great tribulation. The beast, the Antichrist, will have uh, been on the rampage for three and a half years, ruthlessly stamping out all vestiges of worship uh, of the true living God, raw, savage, and uh, unbelievable terror. Terror would have been uh, his instruments and policies. Uh, the special target will be the Jews, his people that he hates the most. Here and there are some bold Gentiles who uh, will have offered refuge to perhaps a, a fleeing Jew, and by God's grace they have survived this terrible holocaust. Such righteous Gentiles, uh, Philip says, as the Jews uh, call them, will be but few. The majority will have to do, uh, will, will have been too intimidated by the beast uh, and his uh, Gestapo group to dare help any Jew. This is the uh, criteria for the judgment that we're given here. The judge will ask, what did you do to my brethren? Now, a lot of people read Matthew 25, and they read it in today's context about what we do about helping people in the world today. I like what Philip says here. This is a prophetic look into the future, folks. This isn't the church age Jesus is particularly talking about. Yes, there's a lesson here about giving a cup of water in the name of the Lord and being a servant and helping others, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here particularly. So he goes on and says, what did you do to my, uh, uh, to my brethren? Did you, uh, did you help? Did you help them? What did you do for the Jew? Did you shelter them? Did you help them? Or did you persecute them and betray them? Did you turn a blind eye, a blind eye on them? This is the uh, criteria. What did you do? And it really is a test of what did you do with Jesus? That's the test that, that, that's going to be used. And at the moment, at the judgment of the nations, the Lord will accept the individual's attitude towards the Jews as a token of their attitude towards him and uh, what they believe about him. What the individual did to the Jews will be evidence of what they've done with Jesus. And so in this worldwide dispersion of the Jew that's coming and the persecuted Jew, everyone's going to be given an opportunity to make that goodwill gesture, that step of faith towards Jesus by the way that they treat the Jewish people. And so the planet survivors, those who make it through that battle of Armageddon, 
all of those horrible things we read about will be gathered there at Jerusalem in the Valley of Jehoshaphat at this great inquest to be separated. That's the stock. One last picture, the sorting. Matthew 25, verse 33 and 34. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Verse 41, then he'll say to those on the left, Depart from me, you curse it, into the eternal fire prepared for you, uh, uh, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now let me give you a second warning here in understanding. The first warning was, Make sure you understand the judgment Jesus is talking about. A second warning here is this. We must not force this passage to teach that there is salvation by good works. A superficial reading could give an impression that by helping a neighbor or being good to someone is cause and sufficient evidence uh, or, or, or cause and sufficient reason for someone to go to heaven. That's not the message of Jesus here. No one at any time, at any point in history, history past or history to come, will be saved by good works. Old Testament saints were saved by faith, Hebrews 11. New Testament saints are saved by faith in Christ. When Jesus was here, people looked to Christ in faith. We look back at, uh, at Christ in faith today. No one is saved except by Christ, uh, through Christ and faith in Him. People are always saved the same way, the only way, faith in Christ. The gospel of do good is not a scriptural message. It is right for believers to do good. Believers ought to do good, but that's not why believers do good. They don't do it to be saved. They do it because they are saved. So that's the warning I want to give you. Now let me close. And I want to tell you one of the reasons that I've put my faith in Christ is because he always gets it right. He gets it right. He, he gives it to us without error. The theology that Jesus has is always so pinpoint accurate. And let me tell you, as a theologian, that's not easy. I can tell you that this little old book is not a simple book. And I have studied some pretty complex books some complex finance books. I've studied uh, uh, complex language books. Uh, all in my history as a student, there have been a lot of books that have been hard, difficult books, but none of them compared to the Bible in terms of the depth of, of trying to grasp the full understanding of it. And, and there is no theologian alive or who's been alive or will be alive that will always completely understand everything in the Word of God. But yet Jesus did, and it's because, you see, he didn't have the human limitations that we have. He was God as well as man. And so when Jesus spoke, he got it right. But listen, he didn't just get it right about the Word of God. He got it right about God himself. So I want you to follow me a little bit here. And this is the inter interesting thing about the judgment that's given to us in Matthew 25 uh, with the sheep and the goats uh, that, that play out and in proof to me that Jesus is worthy of our faith. 
The sheep are individuals who are surprised at what they hear. They're not going to remember having seen the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not going to remember having ministered to his needs. But just as they lovingly ministered uh, to the believing Jews, they did minister to Christ. You see, their motive was not reward, but it was sacrificial love. Uh, Their motive was not for self, but for the Savior. In fact, these Gentiles took their own lives in their hands when they welcomed in a homeless Jew and cared for them. He that receiveth uh, them receiveth me, the Lord has said. However, the individuals designated as goats, they were judged because they did not trust Jesus and give evidence of that faith by caring for his brethren. They apparently received the mark of the beast. They took care of themselves and their own. They had no time for the Jew, no time for that remnant, and no time for the suffering on earth. You need to remember there are sins of omission as well as sins of commission. I want you to hear me. Not doing good is the moral equivalent of doing evil in the Word of God. I'll say that one more time. That is a big statement. Not doing good is the moral equivalent of doing evil according to the Word of God. Now, some of you pat yourself on the back. Well, I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I don't do that. I don't do all these bad things. But the truth of the matter is you don't do very many good things either. You live for self. You know, you just, I'm just trying to be just a, I'm just trying to be, you know, Switzerland over here. When you compare the two judicial systems in Matthew 25, verse 34 and 41, there are some interesting theological truths that take place. To begin with, the sheep are blessed of the Father, but it doesn't say the goats were cursed of the Father. The sheep inherit the kingdom, an inheritance that's based upon birth, because they were born through faith and thus inherited the kingdom. The kingdom was prepared for those saved individuals. But Matthew 25, verse 41 does not state that the everlasting fire was prepared for the goats. Why? Because it wasn't prepared for the goats. It was prepared for the devil and his angels we call demons now. God never prepared hell for any person. And there's absolutely no evidence from the Holy Scripture that God predestines any person to go to hell. If a sinner listens to Satan, if a sinner follows his ways, a sinner ends up there in the torments of hell. A sinner ends up in hell because a sinner wants to go to hell, not because God wanted that person to go to hell. And there are only two eternal destinies. There is eternal punishment for those who reject Christ, and there is eternal life for those who trust Christ. The sheep will be ushered into the kingdom to share in Christ's glory. The church will be reigning with Christ, and Israel will enjoy the fulfillment of the promises made through the prophets. All of creation will share in the glorious liberty of God's children. Jesus Christ will rule from David's throne in Jerusalem, and peace will reign for a thousand years. And so there you have it. This is how it ends, Jesus says. 
After all these things happen, as I've said they're going to happen, the Lord says, before I reign on the throne here on earth for a thousand years, I'm going to bring everybody together. You know, we're living in a fascinating day. We're all trying to make sense of the things going on today. Who's right? Who's wrong? Who gets the right word? How can we, listen, dear friend, it's coming to Jesus. Jesus gets the last word. History be down. Anyone else be down. And let me close this morning by giving you this. From this judgment, God provides no appeal. There's no after judgment. There's no court case set up later. There's no higher court that you can go adjudicate your case in. The judgment is final. And every man, woman, boy, and girl will experience this judgment. What I call the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the separation of sheep and goat. If Jesus tarries and you die, then the judgment. For at the moment that you die, your fate is sealed. What did you do with Jesus? And is there evidence that says that you've put your faith in him? And in the day in which we live, did you love his church? Did you love those who were lost? Did you love his word? And did you live to his standard? You're not saved because you did good. You're, you're saved because you put your faith in Christ. And because you put your faith in Christ, you were good according to the word of God. But when you die, That's it. Who you are is who you are. But if Jesus doesn't tarry, and we are ushered into the end of days, and if you amazingly somehow survive the seven years of hell on earth, there's still a judgment. Christ is getting ready to take his throne, but before he gets on that throne, he's going to decide who gets to hang around with him for another thousand years. And again, it's going to come down to have you put your faith in Christ. What have you done with Jesus? And if you've rejected him and it's been measured out in your life, he's going to say, depart from me, you cursed. I never knew you. And what does eternity hold? Hell itself. Torment. Have you ever been somewhere and you've been miserable? Like, you know, right now? <laughs> Is he ever going to get done? Is this ever going to finish? Is that movie ever going to end? My wife ever going to stop talking? I don't know. You ever been, you know, have you been at that point? I mean, just misery. And then the moment of release comes. I mean, you know, you're free. You're able to go your way, do your thing. And you're like, I'm 
Folks, hell's going to be that misery place that never ends. There's no, well, I'm glad that's over. No. There's no going to bed at night and at least forgetting it for a while. There's no taking a drink or shooting some drugs to yourself to numb the pain. It is eternal. It is intense. And it is forever. Have you trusted Christ? If not, why not? I just don't know if I buy it, preach. Okay? Then what's your answer? I've put my faith in Christ because I don't know of a better answer. That's, that's number one. And two, I put my faith in Christ because he has shown me that, you know what? He can give me peace, and he has. I'm telling you that. I'm witnessing you about that but what's your answer you got a better one I'd love to hear it if I'm right and you're wrong what lies ahead for you if you're right and I'm wrong well then we'll figure it out won't we but of the two of us who better be sure they're sure I got insurance. I'm covered. I did what Christ asked me to do. I'm asking you this morning for you just to take a small step of faith to take out that insurance policy that comes in the blood of Christ. I'm not saying you got to understand the Bible. I'm not saying you got to understand the, the Battle of Armageddon and the Book of Revelation. I'm not asking you to to be the world's greatest theologian. Jesus didn't ask you to do that either. The thief on the cross made a small step of faith and said, Lord, don't forget about me. I trust you. And it made a world of difference. Jesus said to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. In that moment of faith, he became a sheep. In his dying breath, he came to God. He didn't have time to do any good works, to get better, or to figure it out. He had time to do one thing and one thing only, and that's trust in God. That's all I'm asking today. Have you trusted in Christ? Heavenly Father, perhaps someone's here. It's boiled down to that simple, simple thing trusting in you God Lord we make it complicated and Satan loves for us to make it complicated he loves for us to make it hard why because he wants us to miss it he hates you and he can't hurt you so he hurts us the very one that stabs us in the back and kicks us into the gutter laughs at us when he gets us but Lord with everything you are, you have cried out. Don't go that way. Put our faith and trust in you. Like John O'Neill, passionate, crying out, hey, this is coming, this is coming, this is coming. You, you, you have cried out with your very life. This is what lies ahead. 
and so passionate. Like John O'Neill went back into that South Tower. Christ, you went, you went to the cross. You gave your life in the way that it was lived, in service and commitment to us, to the Father. What more do we need? Whatever decision might need to be made today, oh God, let your, let your will be done. In Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand, we're going to sing. We pray this God's the time blessings the upon you as you worship with us today. If God has led you to make a decision today for Jesus, we would love to hear about it. We invite you to come to our website, cometothecross.net. Our online decision card will allow you to tell us about the decision that you're making. All decisions, all contacts are kept private and are confidential. However, we would be able to pray for you and perhaps I'd even be able to call you and pray with you about what God has led you to do if you so desire. So fill out the form, let us know, and just know that we love you and God loves you. And we're excited that you're taking this first step for God today.